0: Thou art indeed, and that is largely the theme of Psalm 29, which we will be studying this morning. Psalm 29, I originally titled this Peace on Earth, but last night just looking at this afresh, a better title is A Song for Stormy Weather. Psalm 29 It's a psalm that is primarily just a psalm of praise. Very little request in this, but a psalm telling us how great is our God. Join me in Psalm 29 in verse 1. It's a psalm of David, and he writes, Ascribe, or give to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness or in holy attire. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf in Syria or Mount it's Mount Hermon like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. On Thursday, I was reading the news And notice several headlines. South Africa is in for a tough 2024. Another headline, the JSE is weaker. Another headline, which surprised me, ESCOM hit by severe plant breakdowns. Another headline, nationwide rolling blackouts kick off again in SA. Ria via buses blocked at Depot. And for many, the worst news was that the charge for DSTV is going up. There's plenty of bad news on the immediate horizon in our land. There is uncertainty about the year ahead, including the elections which will take place in May. There's some good news there. We get another public holiday. Someone once reminded me, tongue-in-cheek, The best way to discourage someone is to tell them the truth, but to leave God out of the conversation. The reality is, there is bad news, but we serve a sovereign God. We need to remember that and be encouraged by that. Personally, this year, those in our church, some are going to experience poverty. Some are even now experiencing declining health. Some will face hospitalization. Some will experience broken relationships. Some will experience the bad news of loneliness. In some way, all of us this year are going to face some stormy weather. And Psalm 29, though, is a wonderful gift from God that equips us and helps us to sing during the stormy weather. Like the Advent story in Luke chapter 2, in Psalm 29, we begin with the scene in heaven. There is glory to God in the highest. The psalm will end with peace on earth to men. But in between verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11, we read about a storm. God is in control in this storm, and we go from glory to peace, but we're only going to go that way through a storm. 2024, is going to experience, we're going to experience some storms. And this psalm will tell us how to sing in the stormy weather and what we are to sing in this stormy weather. We're going to look at this beautiful psalm that Harry Ironside said was the finest poem in the Bible. We're going to look at this under three headings. First of all, in verses 1 to 2, a call to worship. And it's a heavenly scene. And then we're going to have this stormy scene in verses 3 to 9. And then we're going to have a call to wellness in verses 10 to 11. I really do pray that the Lord will take this psalm and drive it into our hearts and encourage us for whatever stormy weather we might be in now, that we will face this year, to do so in a way We know the Lord is in control. The psalm begins, before it gets to the storm, with a call to worship. It's a heavenly call. Look with me at verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Some translations say mighty or mighty ones. This phrase, heavenly beings, is translated elsewhere in Scripture, oftentimes by the phrase, sons of God, in Job chapter 1, and in Genesis chapter 6, referring to angels, Those created beings, some have fallen and some are still in the pristine presence of God serving him. But this call to worship is not, at this point, a call to earthly worship. It's a call to heavenly worship. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe or give to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe, give to the Lord the glory do his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I think there's a reason why, before David talks about the storm, and God being in control of this storm, and telling us how to respond in this storm, there's a reason he focuses us on this heavenly worship. As if interpreters are correct, Psalm 29 serves as a polemic, in argument against false worship. There are those in surrounding nations around Israel who are serving false gods such as Baal. And Baal was considered, amongst other things, the the god of rain. He was the fertility god. He was the one that harvests were dependent upon. And what the author, David, is doing, he's reminding us that the god that actually sends the storms, the god that sends the rain... The God that sends and is responsible for the harvest is not Baal. He's not a false God. He's a true God in heaven. So we begin with this heavenly scene. And David, perhaps, or perhaps another heavenly being that David's speaking for, he commands these sons of God in the celestial area to worship God, to give him the glory and the strength that is due him Glory is God's right and he stands upon his rights and he wants to be worshipped. The, uh, and, 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 and there's this command, this call to worship this great God. To give glory that is due his name. And he says this in verse 2. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. When I first began to look at the psalm some weeks ago. I assume that splendor of holiness was a commandment to the beings that they are to be worshiping God themselves attired in holiness. Though I think that's an application, I don't think that's what the text is saying. What the text is reminding these heavenly beings is God is attired in the splendor of holiness. He is, whoever is commanding these heavenly beings to worship God. By the way, these heavenly beings would be the unfallen angels as well as the fallen angels. That everyone is to worship this God who is in splendorous holiness. He is attired in holiness. We need to remember as we gather to worship on earth. and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here that we are worshiping a holy God. You know, what really struck me about this psalm was before he ever gets to worship on earth, and we'll see that in verse 9, he speaks about the heavenly worship I mentioned some weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that as we as a body gather for corporate worship, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye that there are heavenly beings that are joining us. And maybe I should rephrase that, that we're actually joining. There is heavenly worship taking place right now, and we are privileged to join in that. We just sang the song, Majesty. That was written back in the 1970s by a man by the name of Jack Hayford. And I just remembered that as we were singing that, and his name came up. Jack Hayford died in 2023. And as we were singing that, I thought Jack Hayford, in some way, is here today singing Majesty with us. There are heavenly beings. There's the church triumphant that is gathered with us. We're worshiping a holy, holy God. And the command, this call to worship, goes to the heavenly beings. And if heavenly beings need an imperative, if they need a command to remember, that God is attired in holiness and he is is worthy of the glory due his name, how much more do fallen sinners like you and I? We need the reminder of a holy God. In a real sense, they're saying, whoever's commanding these heavenly beings, he's saying, come to order and realize that we're called to worship. About a month ago, I flew to PE, and I was on Sapphire and I'd never had this experience on a flight before. As we landed, just before we landed, the, uh, the, the, the old-fashioned word, stewardess, whatever they call them now, the flight attendant, got on the microphone and said, uh, we're going to be landing in a few minutes. And usually what they say is, remain seated until we're landed. I had been on flights before, by the way, but before the wheels ever touched the ground, people jumped up. They said, it, it, she didn't say that. She so said, We're going to be landing soon, and once we land, please remain seated. We're going to be disembarking the plane by rows. And so she said, Do not move until an attendant is by your row and dismisses you. And they did that, and by the way, it, it worked wonderfully well. I mean, who was going to stand up after that announcement, right? And the reason they were doing that was so that there would be order. When we gather for worship, we need to have a heavenly order as we do so. We need to call to worship that this God that we are going to worship is holy. He is the great other. He is transcendently different than any of us And therefore, when we gather together, we need to give full attention to him. I was thinking some weeks ago about writing an article. But since it's the new year, I don't want to be provocative too too early. But called, Please Remain Seated, as I thought about that flight. You know, when we gather to worship, let's consider who we are being presented before. Sometimes, uh, John Piper got in trouble recently because he wrote an article saying, when you come to church, don't bring your coffee. (laughs) And he had a lot of pushback on that. But the point he was making, I understood. What he was saying is, when we are coming for corporate worship, we are in the presence of a holy God. Remember years ago, about 20 years ago when the movie The Passion came out. I went to see it, and what struck me, not just the movie, what struck me was people sitting there in the theater watching The Passion eating popcorn. In fact, I preached a sermon called The Passion Without the Popcorn. It struck me that people are coming and they're being entertained by the passion, by the crucifixion. That is not entertaining. That is humbling. These heavenly beings are told, come to order. You're going to be worshiping this great God. Give him the glory that's due his name. Recognize his strength. And the strength that he's speaking about is in the storm that follows. And so you have a call to worship. But then it is followed by a call to wonder. In verses 3 to 9. Now the scene moves from heaven to earth. And the voice of the Lord, that phrase is repeated numerous times. Verse 3, twice in verse 4. It's found again in verse 5. It's found twice again in verses 7 and 8. It's found again in verse 9. And the voice of the Lord that he's speaking of here is not the word of God that we have In our laps, it is what we might call natural theology or general revelation, and it's the voice of the Lord in a storm. He pictures here a storm that is coming off the Mediterranean, and it's coming from west to east. It begins in the north as far as Lebanon, and it moves as far south as Kadesh. It encompasses the entire land of Palestine. And it's a mighty storm. And what David is writing here is about the fact that this praise that's going to God in heaven, they are praising God because He's actually in control of the storms. The storm that it was so powerful that it actually breaks or crushes the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon. Were massive trees. They were, some, some of them were as, far, as high as 35 meters. And the circumference was some 9 meters. And they're writing here, he's writing, Dave's writing about a storm that has come through with such power that it actually just topples over. He speaks about Syria, um, uh, which is Mount Hermon in Lebanon, skipping like a calf or like a wild young wild ox he's speaking here about them shaking the mountains of Lebanon and the Mount Hermon being shaken by the thunder is voice of God the thunder of the storm which he likens to the voice of the Lord in verse 7 when he speaks about uh, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire he's speaking about the lightning here the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness it shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, which is as far south as you could go, just south of Palestine. It's a picture here of a tempest. We had a storm this week. I don't know we were, where, where you live, but it was just thunderous. The lightning was flashing, and the thunder kept cracking, and it was just a mighty display Went out in the parking lot, and the leaves had been stripped off the trees. That was nothing compared to the kind of storm that David is writing about here. What he's saying is, the heavenly beings worship God. He is glorious in his might. And the display of that might is in this general revelation of nature. The forces of nature, which are actually acts of God. In August of 1969, a tornado came through the town that I uh, lived in. We happened to be out of town that weekend we were in Chicago and we got reports of it from our neighbors about massive trees that were down in our yard and in our neighborhood and we drove back home a couple days later just remember seeing these trees just massive oak trees just laying down and one in our yard just narrowly missing our house for weeks on end I heard chainsaws matter of fact, to this day 50 years later when I hear chainsaws I think of that tornado And we saw a display of the power of the forces of nature. And I don't know what I thought about as an eight-year-old boy. But I know as a six-year-old 3 man, now what I think of when when I experience storms is God is behind this. People speak about Mother Nature. They speak about El Nino. Forget El Nino, it's El Shaddai. God is the one who controls the storms. Amos makes a strange statement in chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, does does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The Lord is behind every storm of our life. The Lord is behind the cancer. The Lord is behind the accident. The Lord is behind the poverty. The Lord is Ruling over the broken relationship. The Lord is behind every storm, and that should encourage us. Because if we're just at the whim of the false gods of chaos, we are of all people most miserable. There's a storm. Storms are brewing in our lives, but we're called to wonder, we're called in the midst of the storm to stand back and to see what is happening and realizing this is not happening by chance. This is happening by the sovereign plan of God. I was praying this morning about the elections in May and asking the Lord for some particular things about about the election and realizing God is sovereign. He's the one who takes down rulers. He's the one who promotes the rulers. Prayed for North Korea now. I wasn't just taking up space. God rules. He's sovereign. We don't know why he does what he does, but we know he is good. We know he is glorious. We know he is holy. What he does is right. This call to worship is moved from heaven to earth where we're called to look around and see the stormy weather in the midst of that give glory to God to trust him we gonna have a worshipful response to the wonderful revelation of what is happening in our world. We're told in this psalm several things about God. We're told that he sends the storms. We are told that he speaks through the storm. In the passage, we hear about the voice of the Lord. He's speaking to us through the storms. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain. He said, we can ignore sometimes even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When the storms come into our life, It is God, as it were, shouting with his thunderous voice, saying, I've not abandoned you. It is God shouting with his thunderous voice, I am sovereign. It is God shouting with his thunderous voice, bend your knee and submit to me and worship to me. Some of you might know the name Garrett Kell. Garrett Kell is a pastor of Delray Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He's written some books. He's written several articles for gospel Coalition. He's a really dear brother. And in an email thread that I was a part of just before Christmas, we got word from from Garrett that his 15 year old daughter began to have seizures in uninterrupted seizures for 22 hours. And they took her to the hospital. I, I thought about Aurelio. Remember our brother Aurelio? And they took her to the hospital and she's been sedated now for two and a half weeks. And every day, Garrett writes on a website called Caring Bridge, lessons he's learning, and what and his wife Carrie as well. And what I've appreciated about it is he's not he's not glossing over the pain. He talks about the pain. He talks about their fears. He talks about the great concern they have um, for their daughter and whether or not what what her brain is going to be like when she comes out of all of this. But in all of this, you have. An acknowledgement that God is sovereign, that God is behind this, and that God has a plan, and that God can be trusted. He's to be revered. I can remember when I was in hospital a couple of years ago, and one of my physicians thought I was suffering from depression, where actually I was just discouraged. I've been in the hospital for six weeks, and. Supposed to come home soon, and then the infection rates went up, and I, about that point, was just about had it. So we sent the hospital psych- psychiatrist to come and see me, and as we began to talk, he said to me, Mr. Van Meter, he said, my experience is with people who are religious like you, that sometimes you become depressed because you expect that you're going to be delivered from your problem. And I just said, well, let me, let me just answer that. And I said, I don't actually have that viewpoint. I said, some do. I said, there's a terrible theology called prosperity theology. I think I gave more information than he wanted. And I said, it says that if you're a Christian, everything goes well. I said, I don't believe that. I said, the fact of the matter is I'm here under the sovereign plan of God. And I don't know if I'm going to walk out of this hospital. I said, but I can still trust God in the midst of this. I said, I'm not depressed. I'm discouraged by the events of life. And that's reality. And God understands that. But at no point should discouragement ever become despair. The storms come. We look to heaven and realize that this glorious God is being worshipped in perfection by these heavenly beings. We realize that we're on earth and that that, that, that worship is taking place. And how do we respond? We respond with worship. Look at verse 9. I love this. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. I'm a Baptist, so I don't do that very well. They all cry glory. That's better, isn't it? (laughs) Amen, there's another. This is a beautiful picture, folks. You have this worship in heaven. You have this storm on earth, but you also have worship on earth. They're in the temple. This is probably the temple in Jerusalem. He mentions Kadesh earlier, and I think for a reason, besides geography. The word Kadesh literally means sanctuary, and there's many Kadeshs in that part of the world because there are many false religions in that part of the world. And they all had their area of a sanctuary to worship their false god. And you have these in the midst of a storm and their their balls are letting them down. Their false gods are letting them down. But here are God's people and they're finding refuge in the temple. They're find, finding refuge by worshiping the true God. And though all the world is in chaos in the midst of this storm, they're able to say, not woe well is us, but glory. Amen. They find the presence of God, which is where the temple was all about. as a place where they will find refuge from the storm. They cry out, Glory. In the midst of the storms, they're able to worship God. We're called the call to worship. It's a heavenly call, but it moves to earth. And just as the storm moves from the north to the south, that worship moves from heaven to earth, and they're crying out glory. But there's one more part, part of this psalm, and it's related to this worship on earth. And it's a call to wellness. Look at verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Some translations, and there is grounds for this, grammatical grounds for this, translate this, the Lord sat enthroned over the flood as though it was past tense. And the reason for that is, There's different words for flood in the Old Testament. But this particular word for flood is only used outside of Psalm 29 to refer to the universal flood which took place in Genesis chapter 6 to 10. And so when David writes the psalm about singing in the stormy weather, he reminds his readers that God is not new to storms. God is not surprised by them. He sent the ultimate storm in the flood that covered the earth. And back then, he sat enthroned as king over it. And he's still sitting enthroned over the storms of life. He says something because of that. Because the Lord sits enthroned as king forever, because of the ever-present an undisturbed government of God, we can experience two things. Verse 11, we can experience strength in peace. Verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. Not, not, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I read a lot about this this week. And the Hebrew scholars tell us that when you have a future like this, it, it, is, it is actually... Sorry, when you have a phrase like, may the Lord give you strength, as though you're assuming an uncertain future. Actually, it's a certain future, which means you can translate it, the Lord will give you strength, the Lord will give you peace. But that's dependent upon our view of him, as we see him enthroned over the flood, as we see him enthroned over that most cataclysmic judgment. If he was was ruling over that, He's ruling over our our storm right now, which means the strength that God has displayed in the storm is available to us to get us through the storm. That was a long way to say God's strength is available to his people. In Ephesians chapter 3, we have this wonderful promise that the Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. In the storms, we see the storms in this world, we see the mighty power of God. That power is available to us. And because of that, verse 11, we're assured of peace. We're assured of Shalom. Shalom. Peace in the Bible does not mean primarily absence of conflict. It means wholeness. It means wellness in every area. And David is saying, look at the Lord who is enthroned over the storms that seem to be pounding our lives. Get a vision of him and realize this powerful God is in control. And therefore, we Can be at peace. It is well with my soul. The psalm begins. Literally. With glory to God in the highest, right? Verses one and two. Glory to God in heaven, glory to God in the highest. It literally ends with peace on earth for the people that God favors. Does that remind you of anything else in the Bible? In Luke chapter 2, the angels of the Lord, they come to the shepherds who are watching over their flock by night. And they said these words, glory to God in the highest, and on peace, different translations, on, and, 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 and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. But understand this, and please, I feel like I've lost you, please, five minutes and I'm done. That glory to God in the highest was a reality As they were worshiping the triune God. And that worship is to become a part of people on earth. That's to produce peace in our lives. But the only way to go from that to the peace, Jesus Christ would have to go through a storm. He leaves the glory of heaven. He comes in the incarnation. God made flesh. And he will live 33 years through storms. He will be tempted and yet without sin. He will face all kinds of storms for 33 years, but he will face the most intense storm on the cross. He will experience the flood of God's wrath upon him. Not for his sins, but the sins of the likes of you and I. The sins of all of those who will realize they're sinners, repent and believe the gospel. He'll experience that flood of God's wrath. And because he experienced that wrath, we can have peace with God. We're told. In Romans 5, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, we're told that we have the peace of God that passes understanding. That peace that comes to us, it comes from heaven, but it came through Jesus Christ experiencing the wrath that we deserved. As we commence 2029, we should commence this, by making sure that we realize how great is our God. We sang about that this morning. We're going to sing about that as we close. We serve a great God. And this great God is a gracious God that in spite and in the midst of our storms, he is watching over his people. The strength that he has, he gives to his people. The peace that he purchased through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives to his people. So whatever storms we face, whatever stormy weather, we'll be able to sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Let's pray. Dear God, in 2024, As never before, be thou our vision. Amen.